Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 327. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. I hope you are having a great week, and I hope you enjoy this podcast that you are taking the time to listen to. We have an amazing story of a student who had all the odds stacked against him coming from a lower socioeconomic household, coming from what he describes as a pretty broken house and how he turned it all around, including getting a scholarship to college. And then the failures of applying to medical school, not once, not twice, but three times and what he's learned along the way and how he's continued to fight back and what you can learn from that. So let's go ahead and say hello to Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. When did you know that you wanted to be a doctor? Well, honestly, it kind of started uh, when I was younger. Um, I've got kind of got the typical uh, family member got sick story. Uh, My mom, she uh, had breast cancer and all of that. And so I would go to the doctors with her and just seeing like the type of compassion and the things that they were doing with her, they really got me interested in medicine. But, you know, I was still young at the time. So that was really just the first plant seed, I like to say, uh, into my journey. And then when I got to high school, I joined a club that exposed me to a lot of different um, healthcare fields. A specific, specifically um, medicine and all of that. And that's what really made me decide to go ahead and pursue it. What were you exposing yourself to in high school? So there were, the club was called HOSA. And what we did was each week we would spend time with either like nursing or we would go to PTOT. And then one week we spent time with uh, some physicians and all of that. And so I got to see a lot of different aspects of the medical field as a whole, but uh, medicine 
in itself really drew me more so than the other parts of it. Why do you think that that was? Well, to me, at that young age, it kind of seemed like they were making more of the decisions and all of that. And they were the ones that were implementing the treatment plan. And then everyone else was, you know, kind of executing it. And I kind of, the way that I kind of operate, I kind of like that whole, you know, figuring out what's going wrong, figuring out a treatment plan, and then trying to have others help me with executing that plan. What were some of the challenges that you faced, even when you're going through high school, to determine if this was what you were supposed to be doing? Well, honestly, I had a pretty challenging childhood. When I was growing up, I grew up in a rough, really rough neighborhood. Uh, every stereotypical thing you can think of when you think of the hood, that's kind of where I grew up from. And so I mentioned earlier about my mom getting breast cancer and all of that. Well, I initially tried to not pursue medicine because really I didn't think that I could. We lived in a city that had mostly black African-American people and in all of our hospital visits, I never once saw a black physician. And so I just really didn't think it was something that I could do. And so couple that with, you know, the environment that I grew up in, having to work at a young age, I was, you know, working at a barbershop at 13, 14, sweeping floors to help pay for rent and all of that. It just was very difficult growing up until I uh, ended up moving with my father later on in high school. And that's really when I started seeing a different side of things, started seeing more prominent African-Americans. And it kind of got me thinking, well, hey, if they can do it, you know, I can do it as well. What was it when you said you moved in with your father? What was yeah. that change of scenery like for you and the, the change of environment? Why do you think that helped so much? Well, for one, <laughs> my father, it was just more discipline and he runs a tight ship, and, and so he really got me on the straight path. Growing up where I was from, there was really just, you know, there was, wasn't was anything positive going on. You know, it was just a lot of bad stuff, bad stuff, to say the least. And when I moved in with my dad, he really just set the ground rolling. You know, he put in a strong foundation. He started telling me about the importance of school. I wouldn't go to class. You know, I would do stuff when I was in the, uh, with my mom and all of that, but he made sure that I was in class. He started going to parent-teacher conferences. And I just really couldn't get away with anything once I moved in with him. And so that strong foundation that he gave me really helped me to become the student that I am today and the person that I am today. You went to college after high school. What was that mm -hmm. process like for you growing up, again, the neighborhood that you talked about, and then switching, moving with your dad, what was that process like for you to, number one, know that you could go to college or wanted to go to college, and number two, figuring out, especially if you wanted to be a physician, where you would go because of that? Well, the latter part of my high school year, I still, I knew that I wanted to, but I still didn't know whether or not it was definite possibility for the simple fact of cost and all of that, you know, even though with my father, the the groundworks were laid and everything, and I had a better foundation, the financial struggles were still much prevalent. And so once I really sat down and decided I wanted to go to school, 
and really wanted to pursue becoming a physician, I had to find a way to pay for it. And really, my grades weren't all that because of my, my first two years. And so I wasn't really going to really didn't qualify for any academic scholarships. But I had one year of football left and I came up with the idea that I was going to get a football scholarship. And so I communicated this with my coaches and my dad. And at the time, I'm three years in to school and I really didn't have any playing time. And so my coaches were like, you know, you have to kind of get into the game in order to get a scholarship. And I said, well, this is something that I really want. And um, if it's possible, I'm going to do it. And whatever I have to do, I'm going to do it. And I said, well, you know, we'll see and all of that. And so that summer before my senior year of high school, I worked extremely hard. I worked extremely hard, got my body right for the for the games and all of that. And I ended up being the top running back in my state. And I ended up receiving multiple college offers off of one year, which is really unprecedented. <laughs> and I um, I broke a couple school records and all of that. And this was just in in a, in a year's time. And that hard work and determination that my dad put into me, that went into my preparation for football. But I knew all along that was going to be not for to, you know, chase the NFL or anything, but to get to college so that I could ultimately chase my dream of becoming a physician. And then when I got to college, it was very different. Football became more of a job than high school was it was really we were practicing working out and film and all of that 30 35 hours a week and so on top of that trying to trying to juggle all of that and with my classes I did well my first semester but then my second semester I had some tough times and so I had a pretty tough time adjusting to the college life coming from where I was from not having a very strong academic background but I knew that I wanted what I wanted to do and I was just trying to find a way to make it happen. You were able to go from somebody who was not playing much through your junior season in high school and flip a switch and put your eye on the prize and say, you know what, this is something I want to work towards. Now, a lot of students maybe don't play sports and, and aren't flipping that switch to to then become a good enough athlete to get a scholarship, but... I would venture to say it's the same thing if you're not getting good grades and then you flip a switch and go, okay, now I'm working towards something. I need to get to college. I need to get into medical school. I'm going to dedicate myself to doing well in the classroom. What went into the work and determination and dedication and all that for you to to flip that switch to do that? Well, my favorite athlete of all time is Kobe Bryant. And around the same time that I did that, he came out with this little vernacular um, mamba mentality. And so I adopted that. And so literally I devoted myself to because I knew what I wanted and I knew what it was going to take. And I wasn't somebody that wasn't playing because I wasn't any good. I just had a bunch of good guys that were ahead of me and I had to wait on my turn. But when it was my turn, I had to be ready for that opportunity and maximize that. And so I just used that saying, you know, mama mentality every morning when I would wake up at five to go train before school 
you know, I just used that and it turned on a, a different animal. And really that was the, it's the same thing. Like you said, with the classroom, I use the same mentality when I'm in the classroom, when I'm studying and, and all of that. It's just a, it's just how I live my life now, I guess you can say ever since that, that moment. Mamba mentality. I like it. Um, how does that carry over into the classroom? A, a lot of students will, when they're in college, they have to work full time. They're juggling family and other responsibilities. And as a as an athlete, you it, just like you said, it's a job. And the whole student athlete thing in the in the college world is kind of a misnomer. It's more athlete student. And <laughs> and so, how did you juggle? being a pre-med student and was there any pushback on you wanting to be a pre-med student with juggling all of your responsibilities as an athlete? So yes, there was a lot of pushback. I actually was not only a pre-med student and an athlete, but I, my freshman year, I also had a child. And so I was working as well on top of all of that. And so just to get me through the days, that mentality, it really, it really helped me, you know, just trying to know that I have to do whatever I have to do to provide for my family, provide for myself and get good grades, play football, just that whole thing, you know, it was just what got me through. Uh, but in terms of pushback, my freshman or my, the second semester of my freshman year, I ended up getting some pretty low grades in general chemistry and general biology. And so we had just got a new coach at the time. And so he called me into his office during our exit meetings at the end of the semester. And he basically was like, at the time I was, I went into school as a biology major and he was basically like, you know, Jeff, you know, we're paying for your school. And like you said, athlete student, he said, you know, you're here to play football and then school come second. Basically it was <laughs> how it was. Yeah. Even though, you know, they, they kind of want you to just remain eligible, do enough to remain eligible and all of that. And yep. they put you in the classes that you want and all of that. And so he told me that at that time, you know, I have to make a choice. Do I want to be a biology major or do I want to play football? Well, at the time I thought that the only way to get to medical school was being a biology major. And so that threw my world into shambles because if I wasn't that major, I couldn't go to medical school. And but I couldn't pay for school if I wasn't playing for football. If I wasn't playing football, and, and so I eventually said, "Well, you know, I have to go to school some way." And so I ended up changing my major due to his advice. And for the next couple of years, when I was doing that major, that. I really wasn't enjoying. It was it was pretty tough mentally because I knew that it didn't lead to the career that I wanted to do or I wanted to be. And I would do internships and I just wasn't happy. And somewhere down the line, I found out that you didn't have to be a biology major to get to med school. And once that once I found that out, I revamped everything and took on the path of trying to become a doctor again. What was the hardest thing for you as juggling all of that, being a father, a new father, being an athlete, being at working, right? To making extra money to support a family. And then also being a student. 
were there times where you said, you know, this this isn't worth it? This goal of becoming a physician isn't worth it in the long run? Um, yes. Many days I wanted to give up. Many days I spent, you know, crying in my bed. I'm a strong guy, but crying in my room, like, can I actually do this? You know, my days would literally consist of 5 a.m. workouts, and I wouldn't be done with my day until 12 a.m. the next morning. And then when I would be finished with everything, my son would be crying. And so I would have to wake up and help him and feed him and all of that and then wake up and have this again in the next morning. And so pretty much every day I was telling myself, I would tell myself, ah, you don't have to do this. You can do something else. But then I would pick myself up and say, this is what you really want to do. This is what you're called to do. And so whatever you have to do to do it. This too shall pass, and you will be able to accomplish it. You might it might take longer than the next person, but you're going to do this. And so I just every day I kept get. I, it's kind of like football. When I got tackled, when I got knocked down, I always had to get back up, and it was the same thing with this. When I got knocked down by a test. I just had to get it back up and prepare myself for the next test or the next play or the next whatever it was. I just had to prepare myself for the next thing. What was it that kept you motivated, knowing that this is what you wanted to do? I believe had I not had my son, I would have given up my having another life to take care of and something to live for. I knew that I did not want him to have the same life that I had growing up. I knew I didn't want him to grow up in the same environment that I grew up in. And that really was the big thing. Whatever you've got to do to make sure that this little boy, this precious boy is fine is what you need to do. So all of the crying, it's fine to cry, it's fine to, you know, sulk for a minute as long as you know that when you're finished, when the tears are stopped rolling, you know, you get up and it's time to go get it because you've got to feed this young boy right here. He's counting on you. So there's the secret for everybody. Go have a kid. No. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what you're saying? Oh, I, mis- I misread that's, that one. That's not what I'm saying, that for, but for, for me, yeah. that's what worked. No, it, Make your life as easy as possible. <laughs> Don't have <laughs> a kid. For if that's me, the case, that <laughs> yeah, make your life as easy as possible. But for me, that gave me that extra motivation to keep on going when things got hard. Yeah. Let's focus on the classroom. You you said you struggled a little bit. Your coach gave you a little a talk about mm-hmm. athlete first. After mm-hmm. after that talk and and once you realize that you don't have to be a biology major to go to medical school. What was the rest of that pre-med path like for you before you submitted your applications? I was pretty rocky. I mean, I didn't have any, I didn't really have any guidance. And so I just saw things on Google, saw things on SDN and and just kind of went for it. I figured out the classes that I needed to take, uh, the prereqs, and I took them. I, I did extremely well in all of them. And then the MCAT came and I didn't know what a good score was for MCAT. I didn't know how to prepare for it. And so that kind of hit me like a truck. And so it was, it was really rocky the first, you know, a couple of years that I was trying to, to do that. What happened with the MCAT? How did you study for it the first time? So I had just got done with my classes and I did uh, all the, the general requirements and I had gotten A's in all of them. And so 
I looked at what was on the content of the MCAT, and I was like, hmm, I got A's in all those classes. I think <laughs> I, I'm ready. And so I, I signed up, and I went, <laughs> I went to the <laughs> test, and I didn't even know how long the test was. And it, it was really bad. It was really bad. I got hit really hard. What did you get? It was a 491. Okay. That's actually, I, that's better than I would have assumed. Uh, so, so you still, you had some knowledge in there, which is good. You just didn't know how to take the test and understand what it was all about. And that is such a common mistake. You're like, oh, I did well in my classes. I guess I'm ready for the test, right? You look at what's on the test. You're like, oh yeah, I know that stuff. I did well in my, in my classes. And uh, <laughs> students just don't understand that, oh, there's these things called practice tests and you got to prepare to sit down for eight hours and all this fun stuff. So, yeah. So you, you got knocked down really hard, probably harder than uh, on the football field. Yes. What was going through your mind where you're like, well, I guess I can't be a doctor. Did, did you have those types of doubts when you get that 491 back? Well, not really, because it goes down to I really didn't know what I was doing. So I knew the range. Of scores, I knew it was on the lower range of scores, but you know, in my mind, not having any guidance, you just take the test and you apply, regardless of what you you get. And so, I really didn't know how to judge it at the time until after the application cycle. <laughs> so you applied with that four ninety one. I did. What happened? I did. Um, I did not have any news from anybody <laughs> were you surprised <laughs> no um i started getting more vigilant in my research in terms of how what it takes to get into school and and this is after i had i didn't so which isn't a good thing but i was like oh well you know here's why you know i i i don't qualify you know so i'm gonna have to do something so i'm gonna have to do something different yeah so you, did you, or were you able to talk to any of the medical schools that you applied to the first time and, and get some feedback from them about what, what you should be doing to strengthen your application? I really didn't. I, at the time, was kind of a, a lone wolf. I wanted to, I don't know if it's just from the community that I come from, but I felt like I had to do it on my own. And so I really didn't seek out anything. I was just like, you know, I'm just going to, fix what I think needs to be fixed, which turned out to not be a great plan either. But I, um, that first time around, I, I didn't seek any additional advice. So what did you do for your second application? What did you do to try to improve it? So what I did then was I, I retook the MCAT and I studied a little bit for it this time, but I still didn't study correctly, I guess. And so I what does that took mean? it again. So now that I know you need to do practice questions, what I, I was just doing was I was just reading the books. Mm, content and review. so I would read the book, content review. Yeah. yeah. So I just would read the books and, well, okay, I didn't know this my last time. So this will help me on this next time. And I'll take it. So again, no practice exams, very few other than the end of question or end of chapter quizzes, you know, very few practice questions and all of that. And took it again and still didn't do very good on it. What'd you get that second <laughs> time? So, it was a 495. Okay. So improvement. 
We got some improvement. Yeah. Moving up. That's the right direction. Okay. And uh, I'm assuming you applied with a 491. So I'm assuming you applied with a 495 as well. Yes, sir. Okay. What happened that second application? Well, let's let's pause real, real quick right there. For somebody like you, who you said you didn't have a lot of advising, a lot of support, were you shadowing and getting clinical experience and kind of putting yourself around so medicine? Not, not, not at this point, I wasn't. Um, I was in the preliminary stages. I thought, you know, being an athlete would do it, but that obviously wasn't a, wasn't, was obviously not a, the best thing. I had a few shadow experiences very, and I had a few clinical experiences, but it wasn't anything profound or anything, mm. not enough to say that he had a sustained interest. You know, for me, not knowing what I was doing, I really was thinking that it was just all your GPA and all of your MCAT score and all of that. Mm. And so I really wasn't doing much of that at that time. Okay. I wasn't. And then, so that cycle went through and it was pretty much the same result as before. And so at that point, no interviews, kind of nothing, nothing, silence, yeah. radio. <laughs> and so at that point I was like, okay, you are doing something completely wrong. You need to start seeking out resources. You need to start seeking out advice from people who have done it before mm. because you have proven, you know, twice now that you are not able to, to do this on yeah. your own. And so I started, that's, that's that, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there. That's, that's such a good attitude to take, right? I've proven to myself that I can't do this on my own. Whereas a lot of students will say, oh, I've proven to myself that I can't be a doctor. And you're like, well, I just, I failed at applying to medical school, not I failed at being a doctor. Exactly. I mean, I I never once thought that I couldn't do it. It's just, I just realized uh, now that I need help. And whatever it takes to get in is what I need to do. Instead of beating myself up, I sought out advice and you know, that changed my whole process of how I did things and how I was working. Do you think your background as an athlete helped you with that mentality? I believe so. You know, we are taught the first thing in college football they do, you have what's called camp. And I didn't know anything about camp, but what camp is, is basically they're trying to break you down mentally to build you back up as strong as possible. And after going through that, after going through camp and all of that and going through that process, you know, there's not really a lot that I tell myself what you can't do because if you can make it through, if anybody has been through a division one football camp and you've made it through, you can make it through a lot of things. You get, rejected your third or second time around with your applications. Mm -hmm. A lot of students who I talk to, especially minority students, will throw in the towel at this point, even after one application cycle, because they look at the cost of everything, not not just applying, but the cost of medical school as well. And they go, you know what, this this just isn't something that that I can do. I have to support my family. I need to go get a job. Mm -hmm. Why did you keep pushing forward with all of the odds against you? Well, I actually went to school for business 
And that's what I ended up getting my degree in. And so I kind of ran like cost benefit analysis and all of that and kind of knew I was going to have to take out loans and stuff like that. And so I kind of just looked at it as an investment. I knew that the cost was going to be extremely high. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to pay for it out of pocket. But I also, at that moment, started preparing a plan of how I was just going to pay that stuff back, being with the business background that I had. And so it really didn't scare me as much as it might have been someone who might not have had that finance background. And then on the other side of it, it goes back to, you know, my experiences, you know, and having my son and having him uh, count on me. I knew that I couldn't give up. I knew that I didn't want to. I knew that I wanted to provide a life for him that I wish that I would have had when I was a, a child and all that. And so all of those different factors just kept me going and doing whatever that I needed to do to get to where I needed to go. How much time were you taking between the first application cycle and the second one and now the second and the third? So <laughs> a year. So the applied one year and then the very next year. And then you had a two-year gap between that time. So you took two years off between a, the, mm-hmm. the second and third application. Why did you decide to take so much time off? Because I knew I needed, at, at this point, after talking to people and all of that, I knew that I needed uh, clinical experiences. I knew that I needed shadowing, all of the stuff that I didn't have before. And so I needed to do all of that in order to be a competitive applicant is what I, what I thought. And so I went and started shadowing uh, any physician that would let me. I ended up shadowing a lot of different specialties. I ended up uh, volunteering at uh, different hospitals. I ended up working as a tech in different hospitals in two, two or three different hospitals during that time, just trying to do anything that I could to prove to whoever was making the decisions that this is something that I really wanted to do. I ended up turning down I, out of college. I ended up having a pretty substantial job offer in terms of what is good at an entry level. And I ended up turning that down, but I had a pretty, I had a good job offer after I got out of school and I turned it down because I knew that's not what I wanted to do wasn't my passion. And I wanted to prove, I also had some advice from a physician. He was like, do you want to show the admissions committee that that you want to be a businessman or are you wanting to go to medical school? And so instead of taking that business job, I ended up taking a tech position at a hospital Hmm. and, you know, just doing what I needed to do to prove to admissions committees that I was serious about becoming a physician. Did you retake the MCAT again? I did. Yeah. And what did you do differently? I did. So this time, practice questions, practice questions, practice questions, practice questions. <laughs> I yeah. um, Full-length exams? And full-length exams. I think I ended up taking maybe six, five or six of those. And then I was doing practice questions every day. Wake up and do practice questions. I was pretty, by this point, I felt like I had a good hold on the material in terms of the content. Now I just, 
I was told that, you know, you need to practice the exam yep. and you need to pra- make practice the exam format and all that. You take practice uh, tests and all of that. And so I did that and I sold out and went back to the mama mentality and whatever I needed to do to succeed, I was trying to do it. And so ended up doing it again. And I still really didn't get the score that I wanted after seeing what the average scores and all of that were. Mm -hmm. But what I ended up getting was uh, enough to get me in somewhere. And so I was pretty satisfied at the end. I wasn't when I got it back, but throughout the application, when I started getting interviews and all of that, I was really excited and happy that it was behind me. What do you think was the biggest difference between third application cycle and even second and first application cycle with getting interviews do you do you think it was just the mcat or do you think it was was your whole picture i think it was a whole picture and i think that everything coupled together made me a better applicant you know going in i really you know you have to fill in the the experiences section and at first i really didn't have that much it really wasn't significant football played a big a large role of it But then, you know, the one that got me in, I had, you know, volunteer, I had shadowing, I had clinical experience, I had different, a lot of different things, different volunteering opportunities, just a lot of more things that made me look more well-rounded. And these were things that I I did. I didn't do anything that I didn't want to do. It was all stuff that were interesting to me. And so that made it even better when I went to go talk about it in my actual application. And I feel like I wrote better essays. Mm -hmm. I feel like I wrote a better personal statement. Everything just was (laughs) a lot better, I believe. Yeah. On that, that last time. I try to harp on that so much. Like do something you want to do because it just comes out so much better when you write about it, when you talk about it, et cetera. So let's talk about, you got several interviews when mm-hmm. you went on those interviews, how much of your early MCAT struggles and struggles with your GPA early on, how much did that come up and, and how did you talk about that? Honestly, it came up in one of my interviews and I read your interview book and I was prepared for it. You know, I didn't make any excuses for it. And I just explained to them the situation that was going on and also explained to them that I don't believe that it would be you know, I told them what I learned from it and that at this point in my life, I don't believe that it will be any uh, it won't be any hindrance going forward because I have learned from my mistakes and I have now moved on and I'm a different student from those early days. Love it. Love it. Exactly. Own it. And, and what'd you learn from it? How much of the the interview was talking about your athlete years? <laughs> a lot of it was actually <laughs> my first interview the guy actually played football where i played it and so we talked and we had that connection so that interview was really focused on <laughs> football yeah then the rest you, of them you, were, you do know that that wasn't a coincidence right i'm starting to think it yeah <laughs> it wasn't a coincidence <laughs> a lot of students don't don't realize that they'll come back from an interview and they're like dr gray like my interviewer like was an army medic just like me? I'm like, well, yeah, it's because they try their best to pair you up with somebody who who has a similar background so that you guys can connect. And uh, because remember, part of the interview day is them trying to sell you on the school too. And if you can go, oh, wow, there's somebody like me here, then you connect with them. So so they, they 100% did that on purpose. 
<laughs> yes, sir. So you you have that early connection. What other sorts of discussions did you have that came up in the interviews? Maybe something that kind of caught you off guard? Um, some of the ethical questions that I got really threw me off. I was prepared for some and a couple of them just were way out there and I had to take a moment to think about it. And then I just, you know, gave my best Mm. answer. What's an example of one of those? So the one that comes to mind that still kind of haunts me was, let's say you and your wife are driving down the highway and you get into a really bad wreck and you come into the, your wife gets seriously hurt and she has to go to the nearest emergency room. Would you want your physician treating her? Would you want them to be more ethical or more moral? And at the time, I really was like, I was just thrown off because I, I mean, I hadn't thought about the difference between the two. And so I kind of just blabbled off and answer after thinking about it because I, I really could just couldn't come up with anything. And so that question haunted me for a long time, and I thought about it a lot after it, and things that I wish I would have said while I was there, but you know, you can't go back and change the past. Interesting. That's an interesting question. I think that would be very hard to answer because they're almost the same exact thing, whereas yeah. e- ethics is more like what is placed on you. So as a physician, your ethics are, are placed on you by being a physician and what other physicians would do in a similar situation. And morals are your own kind of internal compass. And so, I don't know. See, like, I, I would want both. I, what's, I, wait, why can't you have both? <laughs> and see, I, I kind of asked them if I could. And it was, you know, you have to pick one. Yeah, and well, they, like, they'll never let a, you pick both. <laughs> yeah, and it was, a, it was a pressure situation. I had like 40 seconds to answer. And yeah. it, was just, it was really crazy. But, you know, going forward, after I was thinking about it some more, it was kind of this, I came to the conclusion that you came to that, you know, the ethics are more more universal and morals are, you know, your own personal thing. And so I kind of now I'm leaning more towards the ethical because there is a standard, you know, we may have different morals, but an ethical standard that everybody can follow by and, you know, just stuff like that. But it it still kind of haunts me to this day. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think I would have picked morals okay, because I think... I would want the in the the physician to do what he or she thought was right, even if it mm-hmm. went against what uh, what other people maybe thought was right. Uh, okay. And so, as long as I knew that he or she had my wife's best intentions in all of the decisions he or she was making, then I think I would choose morals. That's that's interesting. That's a hard one. But again, there's no right or wrong with these kind of questions. It's why did you choose your answer and explain that? So that's that's a tough yeah. one. That's a, I, I, I might, really I might have to steal with that one. Uh, although I don't know if I like it, but I might have to steal that. But you you obviously did well enough. You have one acceptance under your belt. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. What was Thank that you. moment like when you received your, the phone call or email or, or letter that said, welcome? I was ecstatic. You know, I wasn't expecting it. I was at work and I got a phone call and I was, <laughs> I was actually, um, right off a of break, getting right, get, getting off of break and my phone rang. So I went back in, I answered it and it was from the school and they were just congratulations. And, you know, it was just joy. I mean, it was, 
everything that I had ever worked for, I felt like I had accomplished it at that, that moment. I knew that I had a long road ahead of me, but just to even get to that point to where I came from, it was really a, a good feeling. Your son now at this point is six or seven years old? Yes, sir. What was that like explaining to him that daddy's going to medical school? He, <laughs> he's happy. He still really doesn't understand, you know, the intricacies of it and all that. But, but, you know, we've been talking to him about it for a long time now. And, you know, he loves to play doctor and all of that. And I, and I told him, hey, daddy's going to be a doctor. And he does the yay and all that jumping. And it, it, was, it was really good seeing him happy. What sort of support do you have moving forward once you start medical school to take care of him when you're at school all the time? Obviously, he's, he's school age at this point, but outside of that. Mm-hmm. So I have a strong support system with my family, my wife. She is awesome. She um, helps me tremendously. You know, I, there, you know I, I haven't said enough about her, but I, I couldn't have done this journey without her. And on top of that, you know, I've got my family, my mom and my dad and everything. So I've got support moving forward and everybody is backing me. As a black man going into a a field that's dominated by by white men and white women now at this point, what is it like and, and how do we improve those numbers? Somebody like yourself who didn't grow up in a good situation but you figured it out and you kept your compass pointed in the right direction the whole time. How do we get more minority men and women into this field? Well, it really, it starts before you get to college and even really before high school, you have to create certain pipelines and mentorship programs because if you don't, it's really hard to become something if you don't see it. Even when I was in high school and all that, I would tell my friends, hey, I went to the doctor and I I think I want to become one. You know, they would tease me. Yeah, you can't do that. There's nobody that's doing that from uh, where we're from. And so that's just the mindset. And in order to change that, you have to change the mindset and you have to be present starting off at a young age. And so I follow a lot of physicians that are doing that now. Dr. Dale Lakoradudu from I think he's practicing at UT Southwestern or somewhere, excuse me if I got that wrong, but he has a platform called Diverse Medicine, and he interviews different African-American male physicians and just getting those videos out to the community and into the minds of the, of the um, younger generation. And Dr. Quinn Capers from The Ohio State University mm-hmm. doing his work on implicit bias, just more programs and stuff like that. And seeing, seeing it as a young age and helping students learn science and getting interested in science at a young age, because it's hard to go from not having any math science classes all throughout high school to going into college. And now you're expected to take physics and organic chemistry and biochemistry. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. And so just getting us exposed at a young age and early age and just mentorship is really big in order to change that for the student listening to this who maybe wants to give up has applied a couple times and doesn't think that this is right for them what what sort of 
last minute words of wisdom do you have to keep motivating them, keep pushing them forward? If this is your passion, if this is your dream, and this is something that you really want to do, there is no plan B. Plan B is to make plan A work. Plan C is to make B work, to make A work. You have to just keep pushing. You know, there was many times where I wanted to give up, I wanted to quit, but you have to find that inner being that's telling you, keep going. And when things get tough, just know that if it was if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And it takes a certain type of person to be a physician and you're destined to do it. But you'll never be that if you give up. So just continue to keep pushing and seek out help. That's the main thing. Seek out help and improve in the areas that you know they ask you to improve in and whatever you have to do, make investments and all of that. Know that it's not the end all be all. You know, you it's for this moment now and it's always it's gonna pass and you're gonna make it through. And once you make it through, you'll have another set of problems that you have to go through, but you'll you can look back and say, well, I conquered this, and this is the next set, and so I can conquer this as well. And then you'll just continue to go on and go through until you get to where you want to be. All right, so there you have it. Again, that was Jeff, somebody who has beaten all of the odds, who has gone through this process. And as he mentioned, every time he was tackled on the football field, he had to get back up, and he just translated that into his real life outside or off of the football field getting back up after poor grades to begin with, getting back up and pushing through rejections for the first application cycle, a poor MCAT, a poor second MCAT, a rejected second application cycle, and finally figuring out what he needed to do to get in and prove to the admissions committee, prove to himself that this is what he wants and he can do it. And you can too. So hopefully you'll take some good takeaways from this episode Hope this has motivated you to continue to push forward and to continue to get back up. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. (laughs) 